Welcome to CTO Confessions with TC Gill. Brought to you by IT Labs. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This episode of CTO Confessions is brought to you by the one and only IT Labs, providing technology leaders with purpose-driven development teams for high-performance, innovation and productivity. What more could you want? Please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing quality, high-performing teams off that shelf. And your host today is me, TC Gill, IT Labs Chief Talking Officer, and I'm speaking from London, UK. And in this episode, we're talking to a tech leader with a passion for a topic that I am passionate about. And in the context of that subject, we have some great takeaways. So let's not delay. Let's get Shay into the space to share his enlightening stories and knowledge. Welcome, Shay. Welcome to CTO Confessions Podcast. Thank you. It's uh, great to be here. Very happy to be here. So tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Who are you? What do you do and who do you work for? So I'm Shai Mandel. Uh, I'm currently working for Next Insurance. In the past uh, over 20 years, I worked for several companies, uh, really big companies, multinationals like uh, Mercury, HP, Microsoft, even Microsoft in India, and also startups uh, in Israel, uh, smaller companies, companies that grew very fast. Uh, so a lot of experience. I started as a developer, probably when I was uh, eight years old. And uh, in the last maybe 15 years, I'm a, a manager and I grew from a team lead to an architect to uh, now I'm leading a, an organization of about, uh, several groups. Fantastic. And we're going to look into that in a second. But I'm really curious, you said eight years, you started programming from the year eight. What was that on? A ZX Spectrum? A Commodore? Or... Yeah, it was a Commodore Spectrum ZX. Uh, wow, yeah, all these. Yes. Stuff. Yeah. And and do you remember the ZX eighty one? What I used to call the computerized frisbee. You know, um, yeah, they, they were great pieces of kit. You know, fantastic stuff. So yeah, a bit of blast from the past from our kind of tech journeys. So Shai, what in terms of the company you work for? What's the problem that it is solving in the market? Yeah, so Next Insurance is a, we're an insure tech, so we're using technology to uh, solve insurance problems. And in this case, it's a very big uh, problem in the market, and it's uh, insurance for small and medium businesses. So there are really many, many types of businesses like that. Uh, we mapped over a thousand classes of businesses. And uh, it can be, you know, a general contractor or handyman or a personal trainer or even a freelance software engineer. So very big variety, uh, very different things in the nature. And then the, the ability to assess the risk and price the policy and serve them after that because needs are changing throughout the life of the policy. They right. had employees, they had uh, uh, vehicles, and they need to ensure all of that. So all of this is something that we are doing. There is uh, no other company in, in the in the world, as far as we know, that is doing this uh, fully automated, fully digital uh, experience. So wow. you just you go on our website, you answer like maybe two or three minutes some uh, you know questions, and we just tell you you know this will be the price. You enter your credit card and you're insured. Fantastic. Usually it takes a few weeks with any other company. So 
it's there it's a very drawn out process so i love this idea of making that making people's lives easier but it also sounds very agile in the fact that people can change as circumstances change their insurance also changes in a in a kind of more automated way by the sounds of it yeah so some of it is automated and some of it is self-serve so you can just go online and change whatever you need if you need like a certificate of insurance with special special language you just go online and you select it and you can create it usually it takes a few days with a you know through an agent uh but also major changes in the policy you can do almost yeah. all of it you can do it online on your own in your own time whenever you want to do it yeah. i like it i love i love i love companies that make people's lives easier so that's fantastic hearing about the organization one of the things that we've been talking about uh, offline and uh, I'd, I'd love to bring that into the space is that you know what's your passion shy what's the thing that makes you jump out of bed in the morning yeah so i think uh maybe there are two one is uh you know making customers happy we have a value of a phenomenal service yeah and we really want to delight our customers and then bring them what they need and uh and it's you know just make me happy to see that you know the, the software we developed is really solving a problem for a real person in life. Um, so that's one. And the other one I think is uh, is our engineering excellence. How good is the code we write? How how, much, how proud we are in in that. And I think part of this is uh, how do we manage tech debt? Because as we know, every software accumulates debt. Mm. Um, so I'm really passionate about how do we make it happen that you know we are really proud in the code that we are creating. Yes, and 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 as mentioned offline, I I'm very passionate about technical debt, and some of our CTO confessions guests previously have also talking about. In fact, one of them referred to it as almost like a black hole. You know, its gravity increases if you don't keep it in check to the point where it just sucks everything in—the energy, the creativity, the time, and what have you. So how do you deal with? debt what what's your kind of angle because um I, I think there's a lot of tech leaders out there really interested in you know hearing how other people deal with it and what they can do to maybe keep it in check so that's that's a great question maybe we'll start with maybe defining this and uh, i think it's a term uh, coined by uh, ward cunningham uh, he was one of the people who created the agile manifesto and is considered to be the, the inventor of the wiki um and it, like his definition is, uh, you know, technical debt, or maybe you call it sometimes tech debt or code debt, is, uh, you know, what results from development teams that take actions to expedite the delivery of a piece of functionality or a project, which later needs to be refactored. Or in other words, it's the result of prioritizing speedy de delivery, not to say uh, quick and dirty, <laughs> over perfect code. Yes, yes. Okay. I think... The intention is good, right? We want to deliver fast. We want to have good velocity. Uh, the, if you do it uh, for a uh, long enough time, you, you end up reducing velocity, reducing productivity, like you said, reducing the energy, the, yes. you know, the, the fun of doing the work. And I think this is very important to keep, uh, keep this in check. Um, I kind of, uh, it's not for what kind of, it's more like how I think about it. It's, Kind of like entropy in physics. Wow! You know that you say uh, when entropy is kind of the the, the thermodynamic uh, quantity that is about like uh, how every system in in nature tends to go to the most uh, kind of messiest way it can. Okay, tendency that code yes. gets you know more complex, more uh, kind of uh, disordered. 
but I guess with code is that we can't see it. It's an abstract concept, you know? So that entropy happens without visibility. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's not easy to see the visibility, like to have uh, like visibility or kind of a metric that measures this. But I think you can, uh, people sometimes call it uh, code smells. You can smell it. You can, when, when you go through the code, <laughs> you can see it happening, right? You yes. can see that this code is not as it should have been. And in some cases, you can even see kind of, uh, I don't know, we call it the generations in the code. So you can see that, you know, in the beginning, we saw that. And then after a year, we understood something new, changed our assumptions. So we fixed the code and we kind of, you know, stretched it in this way. But if you keep doing it and you stretch it into too many ways, too many directions, yeah. you end up with something that is very hard to, you know, to maintain. And this is where, you know, you need to, to manage it. I think what happens when we get to this stage, and I think this is uh, maybe the, uh, I don't know, kind of the, the fear of, of developers and of managers is that, you know, we'll get to this stage that the team is feeling that, you know, it is what it is and we can't change it. And I think there is a good kind of metaphor that I use for it is uh, uh, Giuliani, the mayor of New York, used to talk about the broken window syndrome. So mm. he said, you know, how does a neighborhood become a slum? That's it's right. It's not like, you know, it was a slum in the, in, the, in the beginning. Maybe it was a good neighborhood and people were, you know, playing the, you know, soccer in, in, the, in the community center. And, uh, you know, they once broke a window. And uh, a week passed, two weeks passed, and no one fixed it. And th they continued to play there, but then they broke another window and people saw that, you know, nothing happens and nobody is in charge. Mm. So they started smoking there and maybe dealers started coming over there. And then people were starting not to go around this block. Mm. This is how, you know, the neighborhood deteriorated just because what started as a broken window, but actually it's more about like, uh, you know, lack of maintenance and lack of, uh, you know, paying attention to details and so on. And I think this is what we want to prevent in the code. I think that's a great analogy, actually, because I can really feel that kind of uh, messiness that creates an environment that creates a, a kind of almost like a downward spiral. You know, once it starts, it's seeded by something quite insignificant and falls downward. Exactly. Now, not, not to say that we are doing this, but this is kind of what worries me. If you ask like what I'm passionate about. So I'm yes. passionate about you know, code that we can be proud of. And I think if we are not careful, this can go this way. I understand why technical debt is, is important to address. And this idea of this kind of broken window syndrome, but why is it important? Why, why do you think that we need to really kind of focus on this more so? Yeah, so I think first is uh, for me, like my passion is to be proud. So I think engineering excellence, it's really, it's, it's uh, you know, it's important on its own, but eventually it goes to velocity, it goes to productivity, it goes yeah. to, you know, how fast can we move? Okay, if we talk about being agile and, you know, continuous integration, continuous development, it's all about, you know, getting software out there as quickly as possible. So even if our processes are very lean, if the code is hard to maintain, then it doesn't help much, right? So this is one, one area where it's important for the velocity and the productivity. I think it's also important for predictability. So you want to say, you know, I'm going to code this, it will take me, you know, this amount of days or weeks. Mm. And you want to be fairly accurate. And if you tend to get to these areas that, you know, this is like, uh, you know, uh, a pit hole, something that you go into it and you don't know how to get out of it. And yes. you need to make a lot of changes. Yeah. Then you are much less predictable. And, yeah. and I think this creates, usually what happens, this creates more pressure 
on the engineer, which creates more tech debt. This is exactly the spiral, right? Wow. You say, okay, I'm already stuck here. I, let's move on, which I think we should do exactly the opposite. Yes, I agree. Uh, and eventually, you know, if this happens for a while, you, you can start seeing this. And I saw this in previous companies, you know, it's making harder to retain people, good people, because they say, you know, it's not, I'm not proud of it. I want to, to be proud of what I'm doing. Uh, and I don't feel we invest in the right places. And I think eventually it also affects the way you attract, uh, you know, new talent. And in this, in today's market, you have to be very attractive. And I think this is part of it. On the flip side, if you're really good at it, then it also attracts, you know, good people and people want to get the, the friends and tell them, you know, this is different than what we saw in previous companies. And this is uh, what we're doing here. I think it's very important for us, not, not just to be. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, speaking to that uh, retaining talent and talent density, because that's what we want, we want good people, good people that care. And and I and the I think you use the word kind of the code is smelly. You know when it's smelly, it doesn't tend to attract the right people. You look at it, you thinking, oh my god! By just looking at it, I feel like it's going to fall over. You know, so I think that's that's a really good point. And and actually, it's kind of given me a a different perspective actually on technical debt because I suddenly realised the value and the devalue technical debt can offer. You know, and the value of actually addressing it. So I think that's brilliant. And uh, so the question to you then, um, Shai, is, is that how do you manage technical debt? How do you kind of uh, balance all the kind of needs of uh, developing code and also making sure things are maintained? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I think there are, you know, multiple stages you need to go through. And I think it starts with training. I think, you know, people fresh out of college, usually they, they didn't hear the term tech debt in the past, right? So. If it's common in the in the companies and they start hearing it from their friends, but you, you need to train about it. You need to explain what it is. I, I'm actually giving a you know a session for every new employee, even if he's not from engineering in the company. And I'm talking about this. Mm. I'm talking about you know the broken window syndrome. And I think it's you know it's it's not only in engineering. It's very you know it's very important in engineering. Uh, so you need to train and then you need to explain like what is refactoring, right? Because the definition includes refactoring. So what is it? Again, it's not something you learn, you know, in, at school mm. and you need to explain what is it, why is it important? How are you doing it? Um, and uh, probably part of it is also training about testing and why you need good testing, good test coverage. So you will get the confidence to, to make these changes and make refactoring easy. Yes. Um, and I think you also need to train or maybe to set expectations about like, what is the level of code? What is the level of design that we are expecting from engineers? Like what, you know, what's uh, something that you should not leave the code like that, right? Yes. You should do better. So That's right. An expectation, expectation of the work, the quality. Right, right. And then, you know, so part of the way to teach this, I think this is something like teaching like good design, good coding practices and so on. The best way to do it is on the job, so code reviews, super programming. And this is also something you need to kind of to train people and, and teach them about like, how do you do this code reviews? How do you do it in a, you know, in a constructive way, in a way that people can learn, in a way that they can kind of absorb the feedback. Sure. Um, so all of these are important, you know, kind of as the, as the base layer to, to get there. Yes, absolutely. And you kind of mentioned an interesting uh, approach to this where you 
you allocate this time you know and in fact it sounded um almost like a fair or part you you called it the engineering fest yeah so i think you know part of the fact that you train people and you let them kind of look at things it also creates a a good vi- a good uh, kind of view by them of where are the issues and then you need to kind of manage this expectation and you need to give them time in order to give fix it right because yes. in many cases like we discussed before if if you can't predict if you already have like that then you you become very you know uh, short in time and you need to allocate the time and i think part of my role as a manager is to provide this time so one thing we were doing for that which is very kind of uh, um, i don't know prominent is every quarter we allocate a, a week where we talk with the the product managers and everyone in the organization and we say you know we are going into an engineering festival we call it engineering fest and we, we are not doing any features we are doing only uh, things that we as engineers think that they are good in order to reduce the debt to improve our code to enable us to go faster um and i think this is uh this is very important and this is uh it's a week uh sometimes we do even uh two weeks when we can like uh during uh christmas time where in israel we are working in the us they are not working so mm. we can allocate two weeks and then we're doing even bigger projects but this is really important in order to improve our quality a long time um i think this is a uh, some precaution about this um uh, you don't want engineers to kind of you know uh defer everything that they want to fix in the code just this week right you want it to happen also during the development it's great to meet somebody else who is as passionate about technical debt as me i always joke that there's always there's different forms of debt um project debt administration debt you know there's all kinds of debt but i think the tech debt is very difficult because you can't see it it's kind of like hidden under these abstracted layers of code and and what have you and it's only when you go down in there and you try to do something you realize oh my god you know i haven't got this job to do i've got all this to do as well you know if if you want to you know this is why they call it debt you know when you take a loan what, what is it why why is it called a debt right it's coming from finance Yes. That you say you know you can take a loan so you can deliver faster now but you're taking kind of a loan on the future because you know you will slow down the code right that's right and eventually you need to pay the debt so if you take a loan and then another loan and another loan eventually what you'll be able to do is only pay the loan and not you know create new profits and this is exactly what happens you just need to maintain the code and you can't do any new feature yes that's good. this is where you start to feel it but it takes time I think that's great. Yeah, the remember remembering what debt actually really means. It's going to have to be paid off at some point. Uh, as as I joke sometimes, it's going to come and bite you in the ass, you know, uh, when you least expect it and you don't want to be bitten there. Um so I've got again coming to your leadership then, the spotlight on you. How do you lead in your space? What's your style of leadership? How do you roll as a leader? I think that the way I'm trying to do it and I hope I'm doing it right is first of all I you know, I start with the end in mind, create some vision communicated to the people so people understand where we want to go and this is why I, even here I tried I started with training so I want to have people to understand you know what is it and where do we want to be like what's the end state we're looking for um I'm trying to recruit and you know and retain the, the, the right people so they know how to get there and then what remains for me is just to give them like the tailwind 
right? Help them do it. Like if there is any obstacle, remove the obstacle. If if I can, you know, just encourage them and let them go faster, I'll do that. I think this is an important thing around a lot of leadership is is start with the end in mind. I think that's a Stephen Covey uh, habit, yeah. um, which is a brilliant book, by the way, audience. It's a, it's a fantastic, it's one of my first personal development books I ever read. And it's something I always go back to. And, and having that vision ahead, it, it kind of has this, uh, own its own draw, its own gravity that aligns people on its own. It's a system of creating that gravity. So the great, great mention there. Um, and as a tech leader, because I can imagine being a tech leader is very different, difficult. Okay, there's lots of complexities. There's lots of abstractions. What's the thing that keeps you up at night, Shai? What's the thing that really plays on your mind? Um. I think usually I'm trying to sleep well. I'm trying to make sure that, you know, there are the right people in place, they have the right context. If something is keeping me busy is, you know, maybe I didn't share all the context that I have in mind to help people succeed in their role. Uh, so I'm trying to do that to, you know, share as much context as I can so people can take, you know, uh, decisions locally, they can be uh, autonomous and run as fast as they can. And then just, uh, you know, create them the environment, give them the, the time, the energy, the budget, whatever is needed to to really go fast. Brilliant. I love that. You know, again, very supportive and bleeding leadership into the people so that they can take ownership and make your life easier. Ultimately, you know, I guess that allows you as a tech leader to focus on the things that you really need to be focusing on as opposed to, you know, getting into the details and stuff. Which kind of brings me on to high performing teams and leading those teams. Have you got any tips around helping teams become better? You know, you've mentioned alignment there, you know, the vision, the end in mind, uh, communication tips or creating and maintaining uh, collaboration with uh, particularly remote groups because we're working in, in, a, in a remote way in many ways. Yeah, so, so I think, you know, working remotely, and this is where, you know, I think most of us work remotely today, even if it's, you know, most offices didn't come back to like five days from the office. So even if you're at home, it's some kind of remoteness. Yes. And I think, you know, it's uh, even before collaboration, I think there is, uh, there is this uh, need to create kind of a common purpose, right? And this is a... You know, I'm starting to think about it. It's uh, kind of relates to a great book, by the way, Drive by Daniel Pink. So we talked about, and he's talking about like three main things to make people uh, have good motivation. And uh, he's talking about, uh, you know, autonomy, which we talked about. And he's talking about purpose, which is relating to the vision and start with the end in mind. And he's talking about uh, mastery. So be the master of your tools, be able to do what you need. And this is kind of related to, to tech that because you want to make sure that, you know, when you want to do something, you, you can do it. You have the tools, you have, it can be, you know, the test that uh, cover your code. It can be the, you know, the ID that supports you and you know how to use it and, and the languages you use and all of that. Yes. So if you have this, you have great motivation. And then the, the remoteness, the, 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 the need for to collaborate in a virtual team is more about, you know, making sure that everyone is looking at the same uh, goals they have the same intentions and then they can work well together. I think what happens is when you don't have it, you're losing the kind of the mutual respect very quickly mm. because you think, you know, it's, uh, if you don't trust the other person and when you're remote, it's easier not to trust than to trust because you don't see him in the eye. You don't know what he's doing, what, what he was thinking about. So I think creating this uh, common vision, connecting everyone around it, 
and uh, enabling them, you know, giving them time to work together and, uh, and creating this kind of culture of assuming good intentions, working together, being respectful. I think this is very important. Uh, so this is also something I, I really, really believe in and really think it's, it's very important for, for people to, to know it and to, for the culture of the organization to be there. We're coming towards the end of our time together, okay? The closing arc, and I've got some nice warm questions to ask you. What advice would you give for tech leaders that are aspiring tech leaders out there that want to maybe get to positions like yourself? What, is there any shortcuts or any advice you could give there? It's interesting you're bringing up the, the shortcut uh, world. <laughs> I think it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, in today's world, people are always looking for shortcuts. I think uh, in some cases, you just need to invest a lot of time. I think that the maybe the first advice that I give to you know to people that uh, early in their career is invest a lot in in your uh, technical background, in solving out problems, in taking projects that are hard, that are long, and maybe that are agile. So you can see that you know the the kind of the the life cycle of a project from you know inception through the first release, the MVPs, then when it you know, becomes the 1.0 kind of relief and how, you know, it changes along a year or two. So stay long enough in a place that you will be able to learn and understand the, the whole life cycle. Yes. Because otherwise, if you're just looking on the, you know, the next shiny thing and, you know, the next new project, because I like to do things from scratch, yes. you're missing a lot of the lifetime of the software and understanding this and, and getting this kind of... Uh, uh, what we call experience, right? Experience yes. is like experiencing different things. So I think you should build your career in a way that you stay, you know, in the first company for at least a few years. And maybe then you move to another company, which is different, is a, a different industry or maybe a different size. Maybe you started in a startup, which is great because you can be a generalist and you can touch many things. But then you should also have an experience with a bigger company where you must be a specialist and you need to know how to work with interfaces and how to get the things from others. So yes, try to make it, you know, it's, uh, I think, let's say Lean Startup always talk about, you know, don't, don't uh, emphasize on revenues or profit in the beginning, emphasize about learning. So I think you should do the same for your career. And it reminds me actually of, of uh, my career where I jumped around a little bit too much early on and I missed out on that filling in those gaps, you know, and those gaps always stayed gaps because I hadn't got that experience, you know, and maybe uh, actually reflecting, I could have been a bit more uh, uh, committed to, to making sure I stayed and, and got the full spectrum. So I think that's great advice. And are there any books or films or talks that you can recommend that are, are good, that have been good in your journey? Yeah, so I think we we already talked about the seven habits of highly effective pe uh, people. Oh yes. COVID. I yes. think this is a great uh, it's a great book for life, not just for an engineer or a manager, just for life, even for kids. Uh, and it helps you really, you know, get the get focused, know what you can influence, what you can't influence, how to do it, how to manage your time. So I think this is a really good book. Uh, a good book I liked as a programmer called The Programmatic Programmer. It's not new anymore, but it's, uh, I think it gives you some insights again. And, and kind of, I felt that it kind of injects me with experience that probably took years to accumulate if I had to do wow. it alone. Yes. I think this is really good. And uh, if someone uh, likes fantasy uh, 
and likes management and training. I think Ender's Game is oh, a the film. really good book about it. Oh, there is the film. I don't think you get it from the film. I think ah. from the book, you, you, you look at it more and it talks a lot about like, you know, how to create these uh, high performing teams, how to, you know, to, to, to treat each person as a snowflake and, and know his, his uh, you know, greatness and, and get him yes. to, to show his greatness. So I think this is a really great book and it's fun to read. So Shai, I've got a really nice question for you, okay? This doesn't happen to everybody very often. I'm gonna be the tech genie for a second. I'm gonna offer you a wish for your leadership, for your industry, for your teams. What would you wish for? Yeah, so I think it comes back to what I talked about, like the, the advice I give. I think it's, uh, if as a genie, you can kind of help engineers, young engineers, be a little bit more humble, more patient, uh let's jump in between companies i think this is kind of where we are today with the industry it's very easy to move around mm. um but i think as, a, as an industry as as a whole we, we need to be able to kind of learn and and uh and grow in a, in a better pace that will create really the like you said the good foundation for the future brilliant i like it i'm gonna i'm gonna make that wish come true yeah, I think that's a good one because I think we all need to be a bit more humble. In fact, I kind of let it slip a second ago, wanting those shortcuts, you know. Um, sometimes there aren't shortcuts, actually. You know, the shortcut actually ends up becoming a long, a longer journey in the, in the grander scheme of things. Yeah, and I think if I, have, if I can have another wish for the genie, if it's a Go on then, go on then, you got it. <laughs> then maybe uh, I really liked when I worked with Python and Django. It was really nice to to be able to kind of uh, jumpstart a project connected to a database and create like UI very quickly. I was looking for such in, in Kotlin. So if anyone found one like this, or if anyone is willing to develop this, I think in Kotlin it will be really easy, really easy to use, uh, and it will be a great framework. That's right. I, th I think that's a really good point, actually, because uh, the framework is get you going. I'm going to work on that one for you. I'm going to see if I can make that wish come true for you. And and as we come to our final full stop of the podcast, what what key takeaway would you like to offer our tech leader men and women out there, uh, you know, uh, working away on their projects? What what gift would you like to offer them as a key takeaway? Yeah, so I think uh, I talked about a lot about the training. I think this is like the the best thing you can invest in people is by training and teaching the people um, and you know making them grow with you grow with the company hopefully it's a you know like us it's a hyper growth company so you need these people to grow with you so they have the context of the past but they can also you know lead the people the, the new people that come uh, aboard um, if we can end with a joke, there is a, a, a nice joke about the CFO and the VP R&D talking. And the CFO comes to the VP R&D and says, see, you're investing so much in people and in training and, you know, putting so much energy and, and, and money around it. Well, what happens if we train all these people and then they leave? So yes. the VP R&D says, you know, it's not about what happens if they leave. It's what happens if we don't invest in them and they stay. Nice. Wise. That's wisdom. Absolutely. That's a nice one, Shai. Thank you for sharing that. We've not had a joke on CTO Confessions before, so you're the first. So thank you for that. And, um, and, and one we're loaded with wisdom. So thank you for your time, sir. Thank you. Well, well, well. That was dripping with lots and lots of takeaways. 
I kept getting flashbacks to the time as an engineer as Shay's passions touched on my passions back in the day. So what were your key takeaways? These were mine. My first key takeaway is again the importance of taking technical debt seriously and having it in our awareness, in our training and our wider understanding in the organisation. I particularly like the entropy lens on how we see technical debt. Like in nature, even code flows in time towards entropy, disorder and messy entangled messiness. That might be fine in the domain of mother nature, but in our code bases, it's a headache that we don't want to deal with. We have to invest time to prevent it from becoming an organisational gravity well that sucks up all the energy, time and creativity that we have in our organisation. My second key takeaway is on a similar note. As we bash code around, as more features get developed and we adapt the code, the code gets stretched and becomes structurally fragile. As code is an abstract entity, it's hard to visualise the mess it gets into. So I like Shay's sensory description of the sense of the level of entropy. Yes, it has a smell. You quickly get a sense of the state of affairs of the code base. And the smell analogy was a really good one for me. The code has a stink about it. My third and final key takeaway is around how technical debt and the state of code can either attract or detract people from wanting to work in an organisation. In a world where employee retention and attraction to organisations is a real challenge, the last thing you want is code that puts people off from working on it. And this is where I reintroduce the broken window analogy that Shai shared with us. And I thought this was brilliant. A great take on how lack of maintenance and care can lead to an ever-spiralling decline in quality. And before you know it, just like in the social decline in certain communities, due to broken windows, etc., the decline spirals ever deeper, getting worse and worse, and before you know it, nobody wants to be there and work on it. So thank you, Shay. Thank you for your time. There are many more takeaways, but I just can't fit them in in the limited time. I can see why you are such a great asset to Next Insurance and all the other organisations you've worked for. I can see how your passion is an asset to all these organisations. So thank you for your wisdom and I particularly liked your powerful wisdom-filled joke at the end and the importance of training and investing in our people. So thank you, Shay. And finally, remember to subscribe to CTO Confessions podcast and IT Labs newsletter where you get regular tech articles and invites to the IT Labs webinar series. URLs for this can be found at the bottom of this page. We are consistently creating material to create, nurture and support a community of tech leaders. And of course, if you want to know more about IT Labs services, including our Teams as a Service service, please don't hesitate to get in touch. As mentioned in the intro, please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing agility, high-performing teams off that shelf with a wide breadth of skill and knowledge. Well, that's all, folks. Look after each other and keep safe. Wishing you all a good day or evening, wherever you are in the world, from all of us here at IT Labs. Live long, live well and prosper. Until we meet again on the next CTO Confessions podcast.